Welcome to Kyperian Commentary Podcast. I am your host, Yuri Brito, and this is the 77th episode of Kyperian Podcast. It feels like just yesterday, right, Dustin? It feels like it should be number seven. It's unbelievable. It would be 77. Some really good episodes. I was just looking back through the list of people you've interviewed, I've interviewed, others have, and I'm really proud of those 77 episodes. Yep. So am I, my friend. Looking forward to getting to 100 and um, just catapulting this thing to nationwide. That's my ultimate goal, just conquering the podcast world. Here I come, Joe Rogan. Uh, Every square inch of the internet, we will conquer. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you keep writing these great articles on Breakpoint and Kyperion, and I just say, every time I look at them and read through them, uh, they're succinct, and I keep saying, let's get together with Dustin again, and you're always willing. So here we are again. You wrote one at uh, Breakpoint just recently, What Would Jesus Tweet? A Christ-like Path for Social Media. First of all, kudos for the title. That's just that's just fantastic. I want to talk about that because I think it's a, it's a topic that is really at the heart of the world we live in because in many ways, we have a platform. The Christian has a platform he's never had before. Uh, I've been spending the last uh, probably 12 hours reading Augustine, and I'm thinking what the man went through to provide these uh, sober words to generations to come. And here I am reading through uh, my Twitter feed, and I realize just how drunk a lot of these observations are. And I'm curious, Dustin, when did you begin to think through the importance of Carefully articulating ideas. That's just a general question, but I'm, I'm, I'm asking if there was a particular time in your life when you said, you know what, I need to be more cautious in how to express myself as a Christian. You know, that's a good question. When Whitney, my wife, and I first got married, I was teaching a college Bible study at a, a wonderful Bible church in College Station, Texas. And um, the pastor of that church and I got coffee hadn't been to seminary or studied any languages or anything like that. And uh, he really encouraged me. He said, you know, you, you're doing a good job teaching this Bible study. Um, he said, but he said, so I say this not because you're doing a poor job, but because you're doing a good job. Uh, you really need to spend more time uh, sharpening your ax. You know, he, he said the famous quote about, uh, about uh, that I think is attributed to Abraham Lincoln that, you know, if you have an hour to, chop down the tree, you should spend the first 50 minutes sharpening the axe. And ever since then, I've really taken that to heart, you know, that thinking through clearly ideas and uh, movements and so forth is is a worthwhile thing for Christians to do. I've obviously done it imperfectly. As a matter of fact, just talking about the history of Kyperion, you were the first person, I say this in my a little collection of essays that was published, uh, how much I'm indebted to you. You were the first person to publish anything I wrote and that piece, uh, I said something, I misquoted someone, and uh, I kind of just got it wrong. And you were really gracious, and I kind of retracted that little bit. I think the overarching point was right, but I just got one thing wrong. And it's always been something that, that's mattered to me, you know, just trying to to be better, to be more clear, to be more succinct, more thoughtful. And uh, I'm really thankful to people like you who've prodded and helped me along the way because, you know, thinking well and thinking clearly can never be done in a bubble. Yeah, I agree. Uh, thank you for your words. And of course, I, um, I feel the same way. I've, I've learned so much from your writing and our conversations have been so fruitful. I, one of the things you, you write in this article here is that there is a certain kind of young man who call believers who emphasize, and you say this in the article, grace and humility, the tone police, 
claiming these people are unable to say hard things because it'd be off brand. And I, I'm curious about the um, that kind of that kind of policing that happens in uh, uh, on social media platforms. Have we created an environment where only the bombastic makes an impression? Uh, that certainly seems to be the case. The more outlandish your take, the more clicks it gets. And of course, I, uh, I go on to say that those folks have a point. You know, I think what social media has done is it's really encouraged people to instinctively uh, take a side. And one way to look at it would be instinctively take a hard side or a soft side. So you have people who just, no matter what happens, their take is going to be kind of the easiest one, the one that falls in line with the more progressive zeitgeist, and they'll never uh, butt up against it. Uh, And then you have other people who take every opportunity to own the libs, um, and their sort of rhetoric will be harsh and hard. And, and more than harsh and hard, I've found lately, sarcastic and sort of flippant. I think that's kind of a move in the past three years of away from just sort of, well, in other words, it's expressing anger uh, instead of through meanness sort of directly, or, or maybe this would be, be a good way to say it, instead of through aggression, through passive aggression, uh, through sarcasm. But in any case, you have those two divides and people are, are more concerned with aligning themselves uh, with uh, with a particular group than they are actually assessing uh, a given data point, which uh, is really too bad and I think has made the online space uh, poor because of it. Yeah, one of my premises, uh, Dustin, is that the goal of writing is to invite people to a dialogue. And if you have a history of inviting people to dialogue, into a conversation, into a story, even the bold statements you make will be taken the right way. You know, just today I was having a, I posted something on Facebook about the the harmony between happiness and holiness, and there was a a fellow who responded in disagreement. And we ended up essentially making plans to smoke a cigar sometime in the future. But I, I, I haven't done that perfectly, obviously. But I think if our words, if our articles and essays and our tweets invite people to a conversation, the pattern of that in the long term allows us to speak boldly uh, in into situations. Any thoughts? No, I think that's exactly right. You know, someone who I think has one of the most mature voices on social media is somebody we've interviewed here, Lisa Robinson Spencer. And if people don't follow her, they really should because she, for one thing, anytime she posts something, I have absolutely no idea which side she'll fall down on it. And uh, and I'm sure there have been times I've disagreed with her take, but this speaks to your question, which is I always trust it. I always trust that it's sort of coming out of an informed biblical sort of authentic place and isn't just a, a knee-jerk uh, reaction. And I, you and I have talked before about uh, the online space, uh, blogging and, and tweeting and Facebook and so forth as, as our jobs is, is in some ways as a curator. And that, uh, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. There are some people out there, particularly they tend to be young men who are so aggressive, so angry, interpret everybody in the worst light. 
And then eventually what happens, it's pretty predictable. They get interpreted in the worst light and they're quote owned. And the whole thing is, you know, so antithetical towards uh, the goal of any debate, which shouldn't be to win or to lose, but to get to the truth, you know, and there's a way to quote unquote win a debate and still not gain truth. And to me, that's just a, a pretty uh, unattractive position to be in, to be sort of solidified in your wrongness because of your ability to win online arguments. Yeah. Yeah. That's very good. You mentioned something that, um, one of the fellows on uh, Twitter, quite popular, he's a, a scholar and theologian, Anthony Bradley, yeah. talks a lot about this uh, sense of fatherlessness. And he's somebody in the African-American community really tackling this issue and the consequences of fatherlessness. But you made a point in your article that kind of connected fatherlessness to the the rhetorical and to the, the writing you say that um, that young men grasping for meaning identity with this persona often accompanies fatherlessness. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, if you will, Dustin? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of the knee-jerk, I have to take this rhetorical posture irrespective of the facts at hand. And, and suppose the facts demand outrage or suppose the facts demand empathy, uh, it doesn't matter because you're automatically just going to adopt one voice or another, speaks to the fact that there are a lot of people out there who don't have the confidence to just respond uh, to the facts at hand instead are just imitating uh, a given voice. You know, you you can't imagine uh, like a shock jock DJ who spends their day sort of prank calling people or whatever, uh, responding like Mr. Rogers in a situation. And I think that's a lot of the online space is people who just were never truly formed in and of themselves don't have a picture of what authentic manhood looks like. And as I say, Jesus, who's the, the ultimate picture of what it means to be a human, is able to speak both hard words and comforting words often in the same conversation. He doesn't choose between these uh, two. And, the, you know, one could say, well, just don't imitate anybody. Really be yourself. And that's a fool's errand. You know, Robert Bell has written a lot on this, that uh, just sort of following your heart and trying to be true to yourself, that's, that's you know, navigating with no North Star. And so you look to someone, and to me, the people... Uh, who, you know, the the folks most uh, most notable on social media are looking to are either sort of a caricature of Ben Shapiro, you know, and I have a lot of respect for Ben Shapiro, but a caricature of him uh, or a caricature of, you know, whoever their RA was in college who was, you know, a gender studies major. Right. It just strikes me that we don't have to choose between those two when in Jesus, we have this whole picture of a human who's able to actually respond to situations uh, and not be guided by his quote unquote tone, uh, but just be an integrated person and respond as each situation demands it. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And I, I'm reminded that in the, in the gospel narratives, Jesus reserves his rhetorical wrath for 
the religious leaders were leading people astray. And it's interesting that in our day, it seems like the evangelical rhetoric club uses the same language Jesus used for the, the false leaders of the day leading the people of God to their deaths, the blind leading the blind. But the evangelical rhetoric club, as I call it, uses that same language to address people in the same club, people who share the same faith, sometimes Presbyterians attacking Presbyterians as if as if they were, I don't know, modern embodiments of areas. If we are to imitate our Lord, it seems like Jesus had, obviously, this perfect rhetorical response in 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 the in the sense that he reserves his wrath for those who deserve his wrath but at the same and, and he used an enormous amount of of gentility and kindness to those who needed the most who were weak who were in learning process who were new to this newfound faith but yet we reverse those roles yeah i think that's uh, i think that's very very well said and looking to Jesus, who is, you know, the perfect image of humanity, um, is is going to do us uh, a lot of good rather than sort of knee jerk, reflexive uh, responses that that just further retreat us into our various tribes. So very well said. Yeah, Dustin, you you conclude by talking about the uh, nature of truth, and one of the things I've said before is that we can. There's a thousand ways to speak truth, but there's very few ways of speaking truth in love. And you conclude by saying, what God have joined together, let no men put asunder. Why do we typically, why are we so prone, those of us who in some ways live by the word, so prone to separating truth from love? You know, it's a good question. And I think it's on both sides. You know, the people who just reflexively will take sort of the quote unquote soft view, the reason they don't stand confidently on scripture is because deep down, they think that the word of God is inherently harmful and mean, you know? And so they they insist on just always taking the Mr. Rogers approach. And then obviously the folks who uh, have a more own the libs persona will uh, will take, take that side. But ultimately, uh, scripture commands us, be ye kind. I have a book coming out, Lord willing, this year called Be Ye Kind, Convictional Civility in a Combative Culture. Mm. My big point is I'm not kind because I think it's sugar that helps the medicine go down. I'm kind because that's the nature of the medicine itself. Scripture mm. t- tells me to be kind, you know, to uh, to show, uh, to be unkind would be as much an abandonment of my calling as a believer, as would compromising on any other issue or any other command that scripture gives to me. And so I think it's incumbent upon Christians to not view kindness as simply a a tool that may or may not be advantageous or a sort of a rhetorical device, but to view kindness as an extension of the great calling of all believers, which is to love the Lord God and to love our neighbors. And kindness seems to me is part and parcel of that calling. Dustin Messer, may we uh, tweet well and may we be Christ-like in our tweeting and our writing, brother. Thanks for uh, joining in this episode of Kyperian Commentary, and I appreciate your labors. Thank you, Yuri. I feel the same way. <laughs>